0: I, my name is Darren, I'm I'm from Northern Ireland, I I first came to Hong Kong in 2008 uh, and then I got married uh, to a woman uh, called Alice and uh, we've been at St Andrews pretty much uh, ever since and I know uh, I I was the youth director when I came, I went and trained in the UK uh, and worked as a pastor in Liverpool and I've come back uh, for the last five years and I'm the associate minister for mission and evangelism.
1: And there there's one more family member you didn't mention. Oh
0: yeah, oh, we have a little baby called Cameron, he uh, turns one next week. Next week, yeah. So, so yeah. well
1: last year uh, Darren was going to come and speak and then he had to counsel because, uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, Alice was pregnant. So you've been a dad now for basically uh, a year? Yeah.
0: Uh, How has that been? Any joys, any challenges well, my wife has chicken pox at the minute, um, quite bad luck. Uh, and I realise how much she does, um, and she's self-isolating, uh, rightly so. And uh, I'm very thankful for all the work my wife has been doing with the baby, especially through the night. Uh, but I wouldn't change being a dad for the world, and I'm, I'm very thankful that we have a camera, and it just brings us
1: so much joy. Great. Hopefully another time they can join us. Yeah. Uh, one uh, further question, so of course this weekend uh, you know, the theme is evangelism, you're the minister for evangelism. Um, what makes you excited about coming to speak here today? What are kind of your, your hopes and prayers for us?
0: Well, I, I hope it's not boring. Um, I hope it's relevant. I've become convinced as the culture hardens and turns from the gospel, I'm, I'm convinced that we need to train members and Christians to be uh, individual evangelists, not just the job of, of professionals uh, in, in the church. I'm convinced the way that we, we lead people to faith going forward will be through one-to-one uh, personal uh, evangelism. Um, but I find it joyful. Uh, uh, one of the things I was going to share with you, Luke 15, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, it says when he when God finds it, or the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home calls his friends and he says, rejoice. And there is great joy that God has. Unfettered, unbridled joy in God finding men and women and calling them to to his name. So
1: hopefully we'll hear a bit more about that later. Great. Well, why don't I then uh, pray and then uh, hand it over to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for bringing us here and bringing us on your work. Thank you for Darren coming here. We pray for Elvis that can talk with you healers heal her soon and uh, yeah, restore to full health and uh, no uh, lasting uh, further infections. Father, we pray that uh, yeah, you would be speaking through Darren and I pray that you would encourage us, you would envision us and you would motivate us to, uh, to send us out with a precious, beautiful gospel
0: that you given us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Niels. Uh, well, folks, hopefully you've got this handout in front of you. That's just so you can jot stuff down. It's lovely. To see so many of you here. How I'm treating treating today is uh, that you want to do evangelism and hopefully uh, after these two sessions you'll feel a little bit more confident. And as I said, I believe the way to grow the church is to get others into ministry, not just the pastors or the missionary. And I believe this because our first reading this morning, Ephesians 4, Christ gave himself the apostles prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What's it saying? Well, the work of an evangelist is to train others to do evangelism. Um, I know that many of you have been uh, Christians for a lot longer than I have. Many of you have been a Christian probably for over 30 years. And many of you will probably know most of what I'm already going to say. Uh, This morning and this afternoon, but I want to challenge you. As we come to training, as we come to Christian seminars like this, there's two ways to learn. I I can learn either like a reservoir, or I can learn like a river. I can come and I think, what am I going to learn? How am I going to be built up? Or I can come along today and I think, what can I learn that I can pass on? And my hope and my prayer is that uh, as I speak, as the Bible, the great teacher through the Spirit teaches us um, that we could be thinking of two people. Who is one person I can pass this information on to in my life? And who is one person, perhaps a, a non-believer that I know that I would just love to come to know the Lord? Who could I be applying these things to? Um, I divided it into two sessions. Uh, this morning is pretty much going to be the why of evangelism, and this afternoon is going to be the how. Uh, this morning we'll be thinking a bit more about the inside the church and this afternoon we'll be thinking about outside uh, the church, trying to think a bit more practically. I've got five points this morning. I think that was rather ambitious. Uh, I'll be happy if we just get through the first two, to be honest. But I really want to challenge you this morning by thinking, who's at work in the work of evangelism, the two halves of the story, and if we have time, we'll we'll do the other three. But I really want to just focus on the first first two. Um, Because I don't know about you, But I find evangelism very, very hard. Uh, I am an evangelist. If you get one of my business cards, that's what it says. St. Andrews pays me to be an evangelist. Um, But I don't find it effortless. I don't find it easy. I I never have. I find it nerve-wracking. But as I shared in in the opening interview, I, I do find it joyful. And one of the things that really helped me change my thinking of evangelism was a quote by John Scott, uh, the great uh, English minister, and he said that we need to make Christians that are mastered not by techniques but by principles and convictions. But I want to be mastered by my convictions and my belief instead of worrying about trying to get the right te- techniques and actions. And so I do hope today that we could just start to realign our, our brains uh, and our convictions. And we could realize that this is something very joyful. For as we share in Luke chapter 15, God finds great joy when men and women come to know Him. And I have felt that over the years, not very often, but I do try to keep that deep joy. When, when, when someone does become a Christian, maybe some of you have experienced that. It, it, it really is the, the greatest joy I think that you know, we can we can know. So I'm trying to keep that front and center. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to me that it's getting harder and harder to get people to come to our churches. I've been at St. Andrews for nearly 14 years now. I, I, you know, It used to be I just felt all we had to do was have a really great Christmas service or a really great Easter service. And people would come along and they'd bring their colleagues and their friends and their family. And uh, we'd have a great service and they would then drop onto courses like Christianity Explored or Alpha or something like that. And they would become Christians. And they would come along to our church. But we're finding it more and more um, that it's no longer bring them to church and give them to someone like me. We're finding it harder and harder to get people to to, to come along. And that's why I'm convinced. And the people who've trained me, uh, Rico Tyson, another guy called John Chapman, uh, I'm convinced that personal evangelism is is the way forward. So point one, I think, is uh, perhaps the most important conviction we want to be mastered by today, who is at work in the work of evangelism. And uh, uh, just following along in the book there, um, when you start with evangelism, the most important place to start is with God. Why? Because God is the great evangelist. And I want to remind people who God is all the time. And just look down at that, uh, that second or third verse, Acts chapter 17. Let me read this out to you. It should be on the screen as well. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Isn't that a, isn't that a lovely verse? A lovely, a lovely paragraph. What is it saying? Well, it's saying that God made the world. Now that's, that's pretty cool. But if God made the world, what's his plan for the world? Well, this tells us very clearly Uh, that you and I are his plan for the world. Verse 26, he made the nations and he appointed their times and their boundaries. God made the world, God made us, and he's decided where you and I will live and how we will go about our business. This is his plan for all of history. Your colleague, your neighbor, your job, when you go to mini rugby or croquet or go shopping and festival walk, God's sovereignty has ordained it. He's decided your time, the people who live in your estate. But hold on to your seats, folks. Don't all gasp at once. Look at verse 27. Why has God done this? Why has he appointed your life and your neighbor's life? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. God, this is powerful stuff. God has arranged all of history so that men and women ...might reach out and find God in the times that he has appointed for their lives. I think uh, that's uh, a pretty good starting point for evangelism. God desires that men and women find him. But as we move on to Corinthians chapter 4... ...perhaps the most important verse in all of scripture on evangelism... ...at St Andrews we want to get the 10 year old to the 90 year old... ...singing and chanting this verse... This is a this is this is crucial. What's our job in evangelism? Well, another long verse, but it's worth reading out. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God? On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let me ask you a question Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Think about that just for a moment. Who is at work? Well, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 there's two people at work you and I, and God. Um, it's very important that we are very clear on our roles in evangelism, or else we'll get stressed or disappointed or, or become anxious. But what what does Paul say that we do? Well, look at verse 5. We don't preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. What's our job? We preach Christ. Who else is at work? Well, Paul says, God's at work. We preach Christ. And verse 6, perhaps the most important verse in evangelism in the whole Bible, And God said, let light shine out of darkness, and may light shine into their hearts. What do we do? We preach Christ. What does God do? He makes light shine into people's hearts. Now, is there anyone here who's very spiritual and very godly and very smart who can remember where where that sentence, let light shine out of darkness, comes from? Yes, Genesis 1. Wasn't that a significant chapter for all of history? As God created the world. God said, let light. Let there be light, and there was light. And this is amazing. But what it's saying is that as we preach Christ, God does the very same miracle that was involved in creation so that men and women can become Christians. He's saying someone becoming a Christian is the same miracle as God creating the universe. And that's why it's very important when you speak to your Christian friend, your brother or sister... And they say, well, you know, Pastor Darren, my uh, testimony just really isn't that exciting. You know what you have to do to that person? You have to take them by the hands, take them into the car park and chat in or break through. You have to poke them in the eye. And then you have to read them Second Corinthians 4, verse 6. And you've got to say, no, 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 you're a Christian because God did a miracle in your life, a miracle that was on the same power of creation. We preach Christ God opens blind eyes. I'm going to get us to chant it now. Is that okay? What do we do? We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. We preach Christ. Terrible rubbish. We preach Christ. That's what you have to hold front and center in all of our evangelism. Everything else is secondary. God is the great evangelist. God is the one who makes people Christians. Our job is that we present Christ. And if you are here today and you feel your testimony is is boring, or because you had a lovely Christian mum or granny, I tell you that is that is a wonderful privilege, and I I wish I had that testimony. And you're here today because God did a miracle through that through that person. You should thank him for it. So who's at work in the work of evangelism? We preach Christ. God opens blind eyes. Point to the two halves of the story. We preach Christ. How do we do it? Well, look back to verse 2. We renounce secret and shameful ways. Paul says, how do we preach Christ? Well, we we do it by telling the truth. What's the truth of the gospel? Well, two words, wrath and repentance. God's settled, controlled anger to sin. And as he calls sinners to repent, to turn from the things of man and turn towards the things of God. Repentance literally just means to do a U-turn. It means I'm for what Jesus is for. I'm against what Jesus is against. I turn myself that way. And i, I heard that message when I was 18 years old. I might tell you some more about that tomorrow. Uh, to know Jesus, I realized that changed everything. Uh, I went to—I—I uh, I, I was a Christian for about five minutes. Uh, telling others seemed pretty obvious when I became a Christian. But very quickly, I don't know if you found when you start talking about Jesus, you get mocked for it. You get pushed back. Uh, my, my rugby friends, my school friends, they started of, to tease me and mock me. They reminded me of my past mistakes and inconsistency. They told me to shut up. They said, We don't want to hear about it. And uh, I learned very quickly that to speak about Jesus, there would be pushback. And I realise now, as I've got older, that there is growing hostility to, to Christianity. Why? Because men and women don't like the gospel. And sometimes your friends and family, they will express it very politely, but other times they will express it not very politely at all. Perhaps you've experienced that. However, this should not surprise us. Just for a moment, think how incendiary it is what you and I believe, what the Bible teaches. What we believe is that the cross is the only way to be forgiven that Jesus is the only way to God, that he is in control of all perspectives and politics and philosophies and sexualities, that he is the Lord of all. And if we talk about this, well, it's going to, there will be, it will begin to put some pressure on our friendships. And it might put pressure on some relationships that it may even sever them. Because it provokes people. Not every time, I think, but enough to give us, Second thoughts, and if you're anything like me, I'm a big, I'm a big scaredy cat. I'm terribly conflict-averse. I don't like getting punched, and, and and if you don't get punched physically, you're going to at least get punched metaphorically if you start talking about Jesus. And if I keep getting punched metaphorically, well, the temptation I'll have is well, I'll just stop talking about Jesus, and then I won't get hurt any more. What I think is one of the most important steps in training people for evangelism is to just be aware that there is a pain line. There There is difficulties and there is conflict that will arise from the gospel. And if I'm weak, if I'm not well trained, I'm just going to decide that I want to stay on the comfortable side of things. There's hostility to the gospel. There's great joy that God is growing the church, but there is also push back. There is two sides of the story. And if you can get your hands on any good books on culture, it will be worth your weight in gold to understand the framework that we are swimming in, ideas of relativism or pluralism or consumerism or gender. We don't have time to examine these ideas this morning, but those are where culture is going to push back to us. And I think the main reasons why I stopped doing evangelism is because I don't want to get mocked. I don't want to lose my credibility, so I stop. However, there is good news. This is not all doom and gloom. Jesus said that this is entirely normal. Do you remember what he said in Matthew 10 when he sent the disciples out? Do you remember what he said he was sending them out like? Like sheep amongst the wolves. I don't know if you've ever seen what a wolf can do to a sheep. I haven't. I've seen what a dog can do to a sheep. Um, I noticed that we never put this picture on the front of our children's Bibles uh, I think that would be a humorous image um, but he says I'm sending you out to, to be torn apart that, that's how he described it and I think we have to remember all the time that culture is going to be, be against us I could, go, I could go to other passages I won't read it, Mark 12, the parable of the vineyard what did they do to the vineyard owner's son well they killed him or 1 Peter, chapter 3, what does he say? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for hope that you have. I'll let you in on a secret. When you go to seminary, when you go to train to be a pastor, this becomes your life first. You start to fantasize about what your future parish or church is going to be like. And you read this verse and you think, oh yes, people are going to come to me and ask me to explain Jesus Christ to them and I will take them to my study and we will have coffee and we will read the Bible and they will get down on their knees and give their lives to Jesus Christ. That You fantasise about these conversations and having a beautiful study and teaching the Bible. And then, when you actually go and study 1 Peter, you realise that this is a book that is entirely about suffering and the Christians being slaughtered for what they believe and Peter saying, when you're being attacked, when you're being killed, when they're hurting you, always be prepared to give an answer. Always be willing to give an answer for the hope that you have. Always be willing to cross the pain line, even if it risks that you may get hurt or you lose credibility. Even when people say, your message is very strange and the way you live offends me. Answer that with respect and kindness because most books I found on evangelism how do I say it? I find them frustrating because they don't tell you that you're going to get bruised or you're going to get hurt. Uh, A lot of books that I read on evangelism tend to just say if I was smart enough or funny enough or charming enough or or well versed in my script or said the right words I would avoid getting hit and people would become Christians and yet when I read the Bible that's not The experience I see. Paul says we we do it with honesty, we present the truth plainly, and yet you're still going to get pushed back. There's hostility to what we believe, and yet, and yet, amidst that, there is great hunger and there is great need. I know this, I've got first hand experience. We we run a course at St. Andrews called Christianity Explored. We run it three times a year, and in the last two years, with the anxiety, in politics and anxiety around a virus of protesting, we found that more people are coming to Christianity explored than ever before. Homecomers who realize that their intelligence, their wealth, uh, or, uh, or their family are not able to help with the issues that they're facing at the moment. There is a hunger for a certainty and the clarity that the gospel provides. And what I have to tell myself when I need these men and women who come to Christianity explore, some of them are very angry, some of them are very broken. I, 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 I have this terrible temptation where I'm tempted to, to think about the Apostle Paul or, or the, the other Apostles rampaging around the Middle East on big white horses with great confidence and riding into town and starting churches. But that's not what Paul tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I came to you with weakness. I came to you with great fear and trembling, not with great technique or persuasive words. If you've ever tried to talk about Jesus and you feel weak at the knees and your arms are sweaty, you're in good company. But this is the Apostle Paul's testimony of himself. What did he write to Timothy in Ephesians before he died? He said he he prayed that he would have courage to proclaim the gospel faithfully. And I think if you want to be a faithful Christian today, you, you absolutely need courage and conviction. If you want to talk about a, a election or hell or God's perspective on sexuality, culture will resent you for it. We're like sheep amongst the wolves. Two halves of the story. Who's at work in the work of evangelism? Niels, what time would you like me to finish? Uh, Ten past eleven. Ten past eleven. Goodness me, I don't have that much material,
1: um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, I've got about nine hours of this stuff and, and then I, I had to cut it down this week but, but we'll keep going because I, I do think it, it is worth it and point three that's the title, I'll let you in a secret, I, I'm, I, last year I had a problem, for some reason, not that I'm against the dentist, I'm not afraid, I just haven't been, through misadventure and, and ignorance, I haven't been to the dentist for eight years, and then I had a problem uh, and I had, to, I had to go and see the dentist in it. They were, they were disappointed and, and, and um, to say the least and when I had this problem I thought well I can either grin and bear it or I can go to the dentist and, and, and get this fixed. And um, When it comes to talking about Jesus I think it's, it's similar. Do you want to talk about Jesus because you just think he's wonderful and you want other people to know it? Or, or do we talk about Jesus because it's a bit like going to the dentist? It's guilt, and I know it's like I've, I've got to, to do this. I, I'd suggest um, doing it for the first reason uh, is, is more more appropriate. But there's three truths that have helped me do evangelism, that have helped, master, helped me master my convictions. Um, well, as we heard at the start, believing that God's at work, believing that God has ordained life. But... These three points, I think, are particularly helpful. And if we go on a few slides, you'll see them there. It's the glory of Jesus, the guarantee of creation, and the reality of death, and and hell, as awful as that is. If you don't think that Jesus is glorious, you are not going to want to talk about him. But hopefully, because we are Christians, and this is a church, you've come on the day away, hopefully you think that Jesus is a pretty special guy. And I know it sounds very religious, but there's no other way to put it. There's no other way to put it. Jesus' glory is what sets apart God in an, an inimitable way, in a way that cannot be replicated. It is the glory of a sunset. It is the strength of a lion. It is the skill of a craftsman or woman. In Jesus, God's glory floods out, and that is worth celebrating. The disciples saw his glory on the boat that night and they fell at his feet in in terror. When Isaiah, when the glory of the Lord passed in front of him, he thought he was going to die. Moses said, I cannot stand in the presence of this glory or else he would be melted away. When John saw the glory, he felt dead in the book of Revelation. The response to this glory, have you ever wondered, what that might be. Well we pray it each Sunday, hopefully say the Lord's Prayer at St. Andrew's Church. I imagine you do. What do we say? We say, Hallowed be your name, because your name is above everything else. And I just want to I just want to magnify that in my own life and in the world. The number one concern for evangelism is is a concern for Jesus' honour. And we believe that one day every knee should bow. We feel grief, don't we, when we see Jesus' name not being honoured? When people disrespect him, we know that he has all authority. We saw Paul respond to it in Acts chapter 17. He was stirred up at the sight of the idols in this city. The closer I believe, as I I try to get a little bit closer to Jesus every single year, and the closer I get, I realise how more and more I want His glory to go out into the world. So the glory of Jesus, secondly, the guarantee of a new creation. Revelation twenty-one. I'm only going to read the first three verses. I saw a new heaven and earth, but the first heaven and earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bridesmaid, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's a wonderful vision of what the new creation is going to look like, a certainty of a new creation. It's not ethereal, it's not in your mind. You don't join the matrix, you don't join the ether, and it's going to be a new place. And at the center of this city is God himself, and God on the throne. And the best thing about being in heaven is that you and I are going to be with God forever. If that does not sound like an appealing prospect to you, that will affect how you do evangelism. Uh, If you don't want to be with God, well, then it's very likely that you won't want other people to be with God either. Uh, God says we get to enjoy him forever. We get to drink from the river. We get new life and new hope and, and adoption and joy and new bodies so often and so true. We have a world that is drinking from the wrong wells, they're drinking from the wrong glasses, and Jesus says if you come to me you will drink and you'll have life and you'll have that life forever. And sadly and most depressingly and, and, and shockingly it's something we must talk about in church and it should be a reason that provokes us to evangelism. It's the grim and depressing reality of hell. Uh, when I was 18, Rico Tice came and spoke at my, ch- my school, and I became a Christian a week later. But he spoke for the entire 30 minutes, of the sick form about hell. And after that meeting, I went up to my, my, my non-Christian friend, who was one of my best friends, and I'm sorry to say to you, I punched him. I punched him in the stomach, because I said, how can you call yourself a Christian, and you say that I'm your friend, and you have never told me, about this, this seriousness if I don't believe in God. And, and I'm sorry, but Jesus is the one who lovingly and carefully and repeatedly spoke to his disciples and others about the reality and the consequences of hell. I, I believe that the New Testament is more interested in showing you the brochures to the other place, but Jesus was very honest because he knew the consequences were so severe. You can watch Monty Python or, uh, 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 you know, the dead parrot, he's, he's fell off the perch. But honestly, one of the most depressing things about being a minister is doing funerals for unbelievers. Uh, and some of the things that people say to you, I, I mean, it just breaks my heart, ladies and gentlemen. They say, oh, he's become a star, or he's with us, or, or he's watching down in the sound. And I, I have to look at the words of Jesus and I have to say, well, is Jesus telling the truth or is Jesus a liar? The Bible is very clear. Hebrews 9, 27, a horrible verse. As people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, people are destined after that to face, people are destined to die once and face judgment. And we, we don't like it. It frightens us. We want to dismiss it as a joke or a myth. But Jesus is, is very clear. It's no fun. But I tell you, your, your friends will not, respect you or our faith if we ignore this crucial and important doctrine I believe we're not truly loving people unless we present both sides of the calling glorious joyful grace and rescue but dire consequences on the other side and I think I think think sometimes perhaps we're tempted as Christians to live functionally as atheists we can live as functional atheists Monday to Saturday and then we come to church on Sunday and we live as a Christian then. But I think it is so important that we hold these convictions front and centre. But if we do, if we try to live them out, we should be prepared to face a pain line. I'm going to talk for five more minutes and then I'll stop. Point number four, I think. Why we still don't do it? Well, idle spotting. The Bible's very good about this. Psalm 139 Remember what that says, search me, God, and know my heart. I think one of the reasons we don't do evangelism is just we have too many idols. We 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 respect our credibility too much. Uh, We don't want to miss out on promotions uh, or inheritance or something else. So we are tempted to keep our head below the parapet. One of the great things you could do, perhaps in your next quiet time or as you reflect tonight, just ask yourself these four questions What am I daydreaming about? What are my nightmares about? What do I pray about? And uh, oh, that should say, where do I need to follow God? Those are four great diagnostic questions that start to show us our idols and start to show us the things that we value and prioritise. And I promise you, if you can answer these four questions honestly, it'll show you, it'll show you uh, where, why we're struggling to do evangelism. But as I jump off. As I jump off, what I want to be reminding myself in evangelism, as we've heard, is that my identity is in God's grace. My identity is as God's son. Nothing can take away or diminish that. The great Australian evangelist, John Chapman, he said, you can either accept me or reject me. What makes me valuable is that Christ died for me. What makes me valuable is that I'm God's son or God's daughter. And that gives me the confidence to face culture, to cross the pain line. When I've got butterflies in my stomach, uh, uh, I I, I can can say, I belong to Christ. And that gives me great confidence. And then I remember 2 Corinthians 4. I I just have to preach Christ. And God opens blind eyes. So I have to keep telling myself that, like an old Coke machine. You know, you've got to bang it. You've got to bring it down from your head into your heart. It's no good to just have this up here. We have to let these convictions master master our lives. And well I believe that, that God is God is powerful. Um, I believe that God is powerful and He says I'm good enough. I work uh, two days a week at a local prominent girls' school I won't say, probably guess where it is. I know some of the staff are here. I was <laughs> at the junior school the other day and the headmistress told me that they had a failure day that week, uh, a day because uh, the girls are so tightly wound for success. They need a day where they're set unachievable achievable challenges, and then they reflect on those challenges. And I thought, goodness gracious me, I do not need a fa- another failure day in my life. What I need is a holy day. What I need is a perfection day, because I'm so aware of the mistakes and the vulnerabilities and brokenness in my own life. But I'm so thankful for the gospel that it, it redeems me from all of that. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see Darren. He sees the perfection of his son. And he says that, that's what makes me good enough. So, so that I've talked for long enough, um, just keep those verses in front of you. Try to bring them from your head into your heart. And remember who is at work uh, in the work of evangelism. And hopefully as we start to Think about these truths, and now as we go to, to discuss them, that even though we feel weak, even though we feel fearful, even though we, we tremble, that these these um, these verses will give us conviction and hope. And perhaps we might just be able to take that difficult step over over the pain line. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you as, as scared and anxious and fearful people. And yet, Lord, we seek to follow you and honour you in the name of your Son, for he is glorious. Lord, help us as a church, and I shout to him as a church, we pray, Lord, that we would be a church mastered by convictions, trusting in your sovereignty and your power and your grace, and trusting that you've ordered the world so that men and women may find you. Give us confidence, Lord, to be built up as godly Christians who are certain of your word that we may go out into a broken and hurting world with the hope and the glory and the good news of rescue and forgiveness and adoption. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name we ask. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, we will later go into our discussion groups. Uh, that's first response. That's, uh, yeah. So if the team comes up. We want to preach Christ. We want to think Christ is so glorious that he's worth proclaiming. And so uh, we're going to sing. Yeah, I will boast in Christ alone. So let's stand and sing.